You know, as we look at First Chronicles 18 and understand what God is saying, we learn that David did not kill all of his enemies. This is David, the King David. Very, very interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We're taking you through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It is a good program. And in about 20 minutes, Corey and Ryan are coming. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at where King David was instructed to build an altar to God. Ryan? All right. So in today's reading, King David sins by numbering Israel. But the question is, was it God or was it Satan who enticed him to do so? Well, I'm going to be attempting to answer that one on today's program. All right. A very good question for today's uh, reading. Uh, Janice? Yes. Today I'm going to talk about what's in our heart. All right, so let's open up our Bibles and look at our Bible, guys. If you don't have one, you can write to us. We'll talk about it later. Let's listen to what God is saying to us. First Chronicles 18, 1 through 8. After this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines, subdued them, and took Gath and its towns from the hand of the Philistines. Then he defeated Moab, and the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. And David defeated Hadadezer, king of Zobah, as far as Hamath, as he went to establish his power by the river Euphrates. David took from him 1,000 chariots, 7,000 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Also, David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for one hundred chariots. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David killed twenty-two thousand of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were on the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. Also from Tibhath and from Kun, cities of Hadadezer, David brought a large amount of bronze with which Solomon made the bronze sea, the pillars, and the articles of bronze. First Chronicles chapter 18 Verses 1 through 8. We continue through 1 Chronicles 18, 19, 20, and 21. And this is interesting today. 1 Chronicles 18 tells us that King David has a great deal of success against all the enemies of Israel. Now, Chronicles not only gives us the broad details of these successes, it also lets us know about some of the riches that David was able to secure. Specifically, the Bible tells us that in his fight against Zobah, David collected a mass quantity of bronze. Now, this bronze became important because it is what Solomon later used to create the bronze articles for the Jerusalem temple, including the great masterpieces of the basin and the two pillars. Now, this is particularly interesting to me because it reminds me of Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, where it says, 
A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. But the wealth of a sinner or the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Now, David was preparing a different kind of inheritance. He was planning ahead for the work of God that would be his son Solomon's to accomplish. Now, this is absolutely amazing. We begin to trek through the history of Israel from a different point of view, from the point of view of the priest. And this is fascinating. Now, some believe that it's Ezra who put this together. We don't know, but uh, that, that's what they believe. Ezra is a very important man. And uh, it's fascinating. Now, let's, let's begin to think about this because as we look at the Chronicles and begin to study David's success, we learn what God is doing and what he's saying to us. Take your Bible guide, turn to today's page. If you don't have it, why not write or call us or go to Bible Discovery TV. And when you do so, it'll take you to a donate page. Let me say thank you so much for your donations. And we appreciate you very much for being able to give. Father, I pray today as we look at David's success that you would teach us your way and show us your path. And I want to pray for the partners who give to this ministry, Lord. Touch them and help them today, Lord. They are giving to your ministry as we teach your word. We're just here every day because you make the way for us. So thank you for touching them and helping them today. In the name of Jesus, and we said together, amen and amen. As we look at this, let's understand what it says. The words of the Holy Spirit, written by the author of Chronicles, says in 1 Chronicles 18, after this it came to pass, in other words, it took place, that David attacked the Philistines, subdued them, and took Gath and its towns from the hand of the Philistines. He defeated Moab and the Moabites and became David's servants, and they brought tribute to him. Now, this is something that typically happens when kings took over at this time. The Philistines had trouble had troubled Israel for many years. David defeated them. You see, when we align our ways with God, he can accomplish great things. When we align our lives with the life that the Lord has called us to, God is able to defeat our enemies and he's able to make us stand strong. Now, that does not mean that everything we do will be easy. God never promised, promised us an easy path. But what he promised us is a victorious path, and there is a big difference. So we need to understand that although we are in the fight, God has made us strong enough to defeat the enemy so we can go forward in our life. Now that becomes very important to remember, as long as we keep ourselves in the attitude of following God and turning against sin. That's very important. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 3, it says, And David defeated Hadazar, king of Zobah, as far as Hamath, as he went to establish his power by the river Euphrates. David took from him 1,000 chariots, 7,000 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers. David also hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. Now that's fascinating. What does that mean? David did not kill all his enemies. Beloved, we must remember that 
Seeking our own vengeance is never a part of God's plan. I know that, that there are times when people who have uh, been against us in many things as we pursued God, we would like to see them squashed, you know, get them and squash them. But that's not what we need to do. We need to focus on what it is God, the Father in heaven, wants us to accomplish and not look at our feelings as the predominant struggle because our feelings are not the predominant struggle. Our feelings should follow our spirits, which follow Jesus Christ. So our feelings should follow our spirit, which follows Jesus Christ. And this is what David did. He didn't follow his feelings, but he followed what God had said to him. That's very important. Well, we go to 1 Chronicles chapter 18, beginning with verse 5. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadazer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. I want you to remember that sentence. The Lord preserved David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were on the servants of Hadazer and brought them to Jerusalem. Also from Tibahath, from Chan, and the cities of Hadazer, David brought a large amount of bronze, with which Solomon made the bronze sea, the pillars, and the articles of bronze. Now watch this. David humbled the ancient Syrians. David humbled them from their pride. There are times when governments need to be humbled. <laughs> this is a perfect time to say this. There are times when governments need to be humbled rather than completely stopped. And beloved, I don't know what to say to you, except that that's just the way that God's word is. It speaks to us. And that's one of the reasons that I always say we need to read the Bible. Because the Bible has the gears and has the mechanisms that we need to have in our mind. Because the Holy Spirit has created us and developed our mind to follow him. And he puts things in place, not just ideas of what to do, but he puts thinking in place. God installs thinking in our mind that we would not normally think that way. But as we seek God, read his word, the thinking is established and we begin to understand, okay, Lord, so this is what you mean. So today, let's pray. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to learn through the mind of Christ the way you want us to think so that we can react properly and act properly in this time of great turmoil. Help us, Lord, today in Jesus' name, amen. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to 
mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, we see David purchasing a threshing floor uh, in Jerusalem in order to build an altar to God. And he was instructed on where, you know, what land to purchase and where to build this altar. It was an instruction given to him by God. So he did it. But threshing floors are interesting places. They really had a lot to do uh, uh socially with celebration, with the provision of God, uh, and also with uh, religion as well and, and religious practices. So let's dive in and take a look first at the harvesting practices in the ancient world and of ancient Israel and see what we can learn about how this is connected. In the Bible, harvest time is referenced both as an actual practice and as a useful metaphor. Ancient Israel was an agricultural society. Their very survival depended on farming innovations and consistency. So when the time of reaping their produce came, it was an occasion for great celebration and joy as much as for hard work. The production of cereal grains has been called the backbone of ancient Israelite society and was largely composed of wheat and barley. Let's look at the wheat harvest as a model of harvesting and threshing. The wheat harvest took place during the summer and could overlap with the beginning of the grape harvest, making it a very busy and happy time of year. The reaping of wheat came first and could be done by hand or sickle, if by hand the entire plant would be pulled up from the roots. To reap large fields of wheat, whole teams of people would normally be employed. A foreman would oversee the work and reapers would make their way through the fields armed with sickles of flint or metal, cutting the stalks either halfway, leaving some of the plants still standing as straw for animals to eat or for collection for different use. Wheat stalks could also be cut closer to the head of grain to minimize the work of winnowing later on. After the reapers would come teams of young men and women who would organize the cut stalks into piles and tie them into bundles called sheaves. Once the reaping was completed, the sheaves would be carried to the threshing floor. The location of threshing floors would likely have varied from area to area as they needed to be in windy locations. Here, the stalks of wheat were turned into three products of varying worth, grain, straw, and chaff. The first step of processing the wheat was to cut the plant up to separate the valuable grain seeds from the plant stalks. This could be done by threshing stick, animal, threshing sledge, or threshing wheel. Threshing sticks wielded by harvesters would be used to beat smaller amounts of grain, maybe even for a quick meal or on products that had smaller seeds. Animals like oxen, with or without metal shoes, could be driven over the plants to crush them into pieces. Effective threshing sledges were also drawn by animals. They were boards inlaid with sharp stones and metal to chop the plants. And threshing wheels were carts made with rows of stone and metal inlaid wheels to accomplish the same. The chopped up wheat was then winnowed. Using wooden fork-like shovels, harvesters would throw the mixture high into the air to catch the wind. The different weights of the products meant that the wind would carry them different distances. The light and nearly useless chaff would be carried the farthest, the straw would fall closer to the harvester, and the valuable heavy grain would fall closest to them. 
The grain would be tossed up for another chance at blowing away remaining chaff and then passed through a few sieves before being measured for taxation and stored for human consumption. So there's definitely more to dive into, and I'm currently reading a few papers on uh, the religious uses of threshing floors in the ancient world. But right off the bat, you know, just surface level, we can see how it, threshing floors as places of worship really do make a lot of sense because we have this this place of the ingathering of the provision that you know we would celebrate the the, the provision of God and you take that provision of God and prepare it to feed ourselves and feed our families. Uh, so there's a natural correlation between threshing floors and places of harvest and the worship of God. So more to come on that later. Very interesting, Corey. Very good. Uh, we have this that we're going to offer. It's called The Return. There are five sermons on here on video and more on audio that I did together. The sermons are The Return of Christ, one and two, God's Word, The Arrival, and the love of God. Very interesting sermons. The return of Christ, I'm very interested in. We've done them for you. I think they're good. And uh, we suggest a donation of $30 or more for this. You can get a hold of yours by writing to us, calling to us, or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Sermons. Uh, just to consider God's word. Right? All right, well, today we read 1 Chronicles chapters 18 to 21, and a lot of readers get hung up on verse 1 of chapter 21 because it says that it was an adversary, and quite possibly the adversary himself, that's Satan, who enticed King David to sin by taking a census of Israel. But back in the parallel account of 2 Samuel 24, it says that it was God who enticed David to number the people. So who was it that enticed David to sin? God or an adversary? Well, let's see if we can figure this out. While the Bible unashamedly proclaims itself to be God's word thousands of times, hundreds of apparent contradictions are held up by its critics as evidence against those declarations. Yet closer inspection of said inconsistencies reveals no true errors at all. For example, one of the supposed conflicts is found between the parallel passages of 2 Samuel 24 and 1 Chronicles 21. 2 Samuel 24 verse 1 says that because God was angry with Israel, he incited David to take a census of Israel and Judah, which was a sin in the Lord's eyes. But then, in 1 Chronicles 21 verse 1, which records the very same event, it says that it was an adversary, and very possibly the adversary, Satan, who incited David to number the people. So, who was it that enticed David to sin? God or the adversary? This alleged difficulty is just a simple case of cause and effect. In one verse, God is the cause of the outcome, or the effect. But in the other verse, the adversary is the cause of the outcome. Though at first glance this appears to be problematic, to claim that these two verses are contradictory commits a logical fallacy known as bifurcation, which assumes that a given effect must have only one cause. But in actual fact, most events have multiple causes. Take rain for example. What is it that causes rain? Is it moisture in the air? The air temperature dropping below the dew point? A cold front? Gravity pulling on the water droplets? Natural forces? Or God? Well, obviously, all these things cause rain, and yet they are not contradictory. As another example, consider the Bible. Was scripture written by God or by men? The correct answer is both. 
men wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God to do so. In the same way, it can be said without any contradiction that both God and an adversary enticed David to sin. But does this then mean that God is responsible for David's sin? Of course not. As scripture reveals elsewhere, God himself never commits evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God was not David's tempter. But because the Lord was angry, he didn't prevent the adversary from tempting David either. And it is in that sense that both God and the adversary provoked David to sin. Of course, David still had a choice. He could have resisted the temptation, but instead he chose to sin as God knew he would, and God appropriately punished David and Israel for their sins. And yet, this was all in accordance with God's purpose, because this episode ultimately led to David purchasing the plot of land on which the future temple and temples would be built. Far from a contradiction, this is just one of many instances in the Bible in which God used evil and sinful agents to accomplish his purposes. And we must never forget that God is sovereign and ultimately overrules sinful activity for his glory and the ultimate good of mankind. So as you can see, there's no contradiction because an effect can have more than one cause. In this case, David's sin was the effect, and it had more than one cause, God and an adversary. No, God himself wasn't the one who tempted David, but in his sovereignty, he did allow David to be tempted by an adversary. And this way, it can be said without the slightest contradiction that both God and an adversary enticed David. Now, that being said, if you want to watch this report again, along with other videos that I've done, then you can by simply heading over to my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Ryan Hembry. And you know, I'm posting new, video there, new videos there all the time. So remember to subscribe and click the notification bell so that you'll be notified the instant that I upload a new video. Yeah, it's very important. And I've noticed it's grown, Ryan. So that's great. All right, Janice. Yes, well, I titled this today, What's in Our Heart? And I know that the focus was on First Chronicles 18, but I wanted to back up one chapter because we have, I think sometimes when we read a chapter, if we're just pulling that chapter out, sometimes we can take it out of context. We're not really understanding how uh, the scriptures are flowing. And so I want to back up to 17 because uh, this is where God makes a covenant with David. And David has it in his heart that he wants to build a temple for God. And Nathan, who is the prophet in that time, uh, he agrees with David because he knows David's heart. And so neither David nor Nathan have a problem with him building that until they go away and Nathan is confronted by God and God gives Nathan instructions to tell David that no, it won't be you, David, that builds the temple, but God has chosen a son of yours and he will build the temple. And so we go through that in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, and, and starting at verse 15, it says, According to all these words and according to all this vi in this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So he's delivering this mes message to David. Now, some of us might take that as being a very negative thing because David just wanted to do something for God, but he did not. Um, this was not a negative response. He didn't take it in that way. David took it as a positive response. And in fact, then he begins to pray to God and we get to, to listen in to really where David's heart is at. And I think we can learn some really valuable lessons here. And it starts out in verse 16. It says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. 
This is right after Nathan has delivered God's word to him that he will not be the one to build the temple. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And then he goes into this eloquent um, display of prayer before God. And it ends, For you, O my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build him a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray before you. David really took this time to spend with God. And, and here's some of the lessons that we can learn from this. Number one, David, David acknowledged that God was God, that he was the Lord. And he rhetorically asks this question, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? David showed submission to what God had planned for him. Instead of taking it as a negative response, something that God won't let me do, David submits to the idea that God had a different plan, that yes, there would be a temple, but it would be his son that would build it. David showed God that what God desired was whatever God wanted for him. Did you hear that? David showed God that what he desired was whatever God wanted for him. Sometimes the plan that God has for us is very different than the plans that we think God should have for us, which is very unwise because we don't know what the future holds, and yet God does. And lastly, David lets us know that it's never wrong to express our thoughts and our desires to God, whether we're really happy accepting what God has said or we're struggling with trying to accept something that God is making very clear to us, something that we hadn't thought of, something that we're uncomfortable with, something that we think that we can't possibly do, which in of ourselves, we can't. But when God has called us to do something and we're obedient to that call, he helps us. God always knows what we're thinking, what's in our hearts. We have the privilege, we have the honor to voice our thoughts and our feelings to him. And we get the honor and privilege to see David opening up his heart to his Lord, to his God, after getting a response that he didn't think that he would get. And yet we see the beauty in David's heart. He wasn't a perfect man. We know that from reading his history. But we do know that God chose him to be king of Israel because his heart was one that sought after God. Um, and I love the fact that in chapter 18, as we see David making conquests, as he proceeded in the areas that God had called him to, we see it twice. The Lord preserved David wherever he went. Thank you for joining us today. I want to tell you about Roku. It is a great little box you can buy at Walmart or Best Buy or wherever you want to get it. It's about 39 bucks. It goes on your TV set, turns your internet into the TV. And when you get on the Roku channel, look for BD Family and Friends. BD Family and Friends, Bible Discovery Family and Friends. And we'll be there and you can watch our channel. Father, help us today to learn how to 
think about you and to think about this world.